0: Hello and welcome to Country Stride, the podcast dedicated to the landscapes, people and heritage of Cumbria and the Lake District. I'm here today, something of a change, we are seated on some lovely comfortable sofas just below Cloughhead, a grey day outside and Mark, we're taking a break from walking.
1: (laughs) This is a novelty, I'm not used to
0: sitting down, I'm a walker and to be sitting down here with a cup of tea in my hand is just outrageous. We were going to get up onto the tops and Cloughhead in particular, but a miserable day out there. We've got wind and rain, double combination. You can't get out to record. No. Mind you, I've never been across Fraquel Common, which is just above here, up onto the coach road. There is a public right of way, which I've never walked on, but um, it's not in evidence as far as I can see on the ground. I love it up there. It was one of my... Lockdown favourite walks um, going across the common, which I think then joins Matterdown Common, doesn't it? It
1: does, yeah. Um, and then you can go up onto Threlkeld Knots, on onto Clough Head, and what a majestic spot. And you've got this wonderful array of
0: hills all around you, above Thirlmere. It's just a heavenly spot to live. It's wonderful, and I believe there's a, a very good walking guidebook to um, going on to. Clubhead, I uh, suppose uh, there Threlkeld. is. From That's the Threlkeld Walking Companion, a bit of an early plug there. But nothing to do with today's podcast. Uh, today's podcast, Mark, have you ever done any fell running? Are you a fell runner? I joined a mountaineering club at Boor
1: 50 years ago, and they were very keen on all sorts of things. Climbing, of course. Running was not really in the mindset at that time, so the idea of actually running over fells never broken. Before I joined the mountaineering club, I got into orienteering because ah. I loved using a map and compass, and I loved that feeling of finding my way through the countryside
0: in a constructive way, mm. uh, and I found that magical. OK, right, well, this has some resonance in today's um, podcast. You'll remember earlier this year, I think, was it the end of last year, we met up with Joss to talk about uh, many of his fell-running exploits. In 1986, Joss completed all 214 of the Wainwrights, uh, 300 miles, run seven days and one hour. And that record that he set there, it was thought it could never be beaten. I mean, this is the iron man doing his thing among his fells. That record stood for 28 years until 2014 when Steve Birkinshaw beat it by staggering 12 hours. That record has fallen since, but at that time and even to today among fell runners it's considered an extraordinary feat. And that's our guest today, Mark. We've got Steve Birkinshaw, a hero to many fell runners and uh, extreme distance runners. This undertaking, so let's just put it into perspective, this is doing two marathons and over 5,000 meters, or 16 and a half thousand feet of ascent every day for seven days. Joss's achievement at his time was seemingly unbeatable. People thought
1: he'd reached superhuman achievement, and of course he had, but. A red rag to a bull, a a real fell runner, will see something and say to themselves, I can better that." It's the innate capacity of some people to dig far deeper, and I don't know where they dig, but they dig and achieve incredible things.
0: Well, all of this and more we will talk about today, and you mentioned the orienteering there, Um, it is Steve's background, we'll talk a little bit about that, because I think, for me, one of the extraordinary parts of this story is the planning the map planning that goes into this because if you can shave off height and distance there then you can start shaving off the time as well so i'm really interested in that we would at this point say we'll set off on our wander we won't be wandering very far but let's start our conversation with steve Birkinshaw.
1: Well, this is a remarkable day for me to be indoors and in uh, exalted company. Steve, what was your motivation as a young man? What sort of background did you have and
2: where did you come from? Yes, yeah, so I was born in Chester and then when I was about four, moved down to Cambridge. I was probably, my parents would just say I was an awkward kid, really awkward. Um, mm. I would only do what I wanted to do. If they told me to do something then, you know, yeah, it was only on my terms and... You were headstrong. Headstrong, determined, yeah. I mean, there was a classic thing where, you know, I, I had to win a game before I went to bed, so we'd have to carry on playing game and the game and game until I actually won. My mum would try and cheat, but I'd notice if she was cheating. She had to make sure that somehow I could win without me noticing that it, she was letting me win. So. <laughs> ah, ah,
1: ah,
2: yes. Very <laughs> the perfect. battle of wills. Oh, yes.
1: In your book, There Is No Map In Hell, you mention... You had
2: rages. I just used to get really upset and angry and stuff. I think it was not being able to express myself, um, built up all this stress and hassle. And as I got older, I realised that the thing to do when I got this sort of stress and hassle was just to go for a run. That's sort of basically what calms me down and keeps me It released me relaxed. you. Yeah, um, but I guess when I was younger, I didn't have that sort of option. So it was built up and I got more and more hassled and stressed. Uh, and it wasn't easy for the rest of the family. You know, now I can feel it coming on even there. You know, I get stressed and hassled by something. Yes, just go for a run. It releases everything. I'm back to relaxed, happy Steve. Well, you certainly look relaxed today. <laughs> Thank you.
1: I think it's a cup of tea you offered us. Now, your first sporting achievements, I know you were a very keen sportsman. You like to win. You had a great interest in orienteering, this relationship of a map and a compass and so on.
2: Yeah, I mean, I loved being out in the countryside, by myself, to start with, I used to go around, this was probably when I was five or six, um, or into just starting. I used to go around with my brother and sisters, but when I was seven, I said, you know, I want to do it myself. I want to go out and get lost by myself, and I was absolutely rubbish to start with. One event, you know, I was about two and a half hours out in the forest by myself when I was seven, I don't know what my parents were thinking about two and a half hours in that sort of age, but I finished the course and I was really happy and then I gradually got better and better. I started running a bit more and the the map and the compass made a bit more sense as you get a bit older. So what particularly
1: tickled your fancy about
2: orienteering?
1: Your contemporaries and people you knew probably didn't get into it, but you personally did.
2: Yeah, I think it was a combination of things. I like the competitive side, you know, you're racing against other people but not racing with them, you know, you're trying to do your best at the time and then you look at the results afterwards. I like being outside and really enjoying the navigation and looking at the map and focusing on that and you get fit and run really hard without actually thinking about it because you're just so focused on the navigation, uh, it becomes a really nice way of getting fit as well in an enjoyable way of
1: doing it. It's a sort of a holistic way of relating to your body and to the
2: setting that you're in i guess that's true yeah yeah and i really like running through the roughest terrain so you know if i'm on a path okay Or i hate roads but running through like the fells or running through a thick forest with trees all over the place i really like that sort of size of things jumping and weaving your way around in 1981 your dad moved north got
1: a job uh, away from the fens, and it gave you your first opportunity to get away into a moorland environment
2: yeah, so we moved to Altrincham in the South Manchester area. I was quite involved in the Orienteering Club then, so we had a club run once every week, often in the sort of Macclesfield up into the Peak District area. Mm-hmm. And then weekends, we quite often went up to Lake District either as a family or I was in the Northwest Junior Orienteering Squad, so we went up and did events and training up in the Lake District. It was great being up here.
1: Well, it must be a revelation to you to suddenly see around you a bold landscape where there's a a sense of freedom.
2: Most of the good orienteering areas are in the South Lake District amongst the big sort of forests they've got there. But we went up onto the fells and it was great just being out here.
1: Did you get that moment when you said, this is really where I want to be? I love this place.
2: Yeah, I think it was more a gradual thing, because I was obviously focused on the orienteering, but then I was thinking the more time I spent here, the more time I wanted to spend here. Um, So as well as the orienteering, I was enjoying doing some fell races and stuff. Eventually I thought, yeah, this is the place where I want to be. But it was a gradual sort of conversion, not a sudden moment. Coming
1: to Altrincham, you were a southern lad, like I am. You had this sort of struggle to fit in into the community and the, the setting.
2: I have to say you know first for years at school in Ulster I didn't fit in at all I really sort of struggled my accent my posh southern accent against northern accent it didn't quite work You know, I was very quiet, very shy, academically quite good, but not great sort of team sports-wise. So, you know, the weeks weren't great, but the weekends were really nice because that's when I came and, you know, went orienteering, went up to the Lake District and I had a great time. And, you know, i got friends who also orienteered. You know, that was much more enjoyable and that's what sort of kept me happy. Well, in 2008,
1: you made that pretty monumental move. You moved to the Lakes itself. What spurred it and where did it lead you to?
2: Yeah, so that was a big change. At the time, I was living in the Time Valley uh, near Hexham and my eldest son was just about to start primary school. My third child was just about to be born. Work had sort of gave me the option to work from home. Um, It's a long story, but basically my boss had moved to Inverness. I thought, if he can move to Inverness... I can move to the Lake District. My parents were about to get rid of this house that we were in, so we thought, what a perfect opportunity. Come and live here, amongst the fells, um, just before my son starts school. Perfect timing, really. Fabulous. How's the lakes been for you? It is great. I mean, I love running from my doorstep, up onto Cloughhead one side, up Lancaster the other. I work from home. I can work on my computer, take a couple of hours off at lunch and go go for a run. And the family all love it as well, so it's a great place to be. And in two hours, how far can you go?
1: <laughs>
2: <laughs> two hours, yeah, two hours is a good thing. So I can go up, Cloughhead, Great Dodd, and back home in two hours, all no. the other side. Glen <laughs> and Bowscale fells, that sort of thing. Amazing. <laughs> well, we've got a picture of what got you
1: into fell running in this area you got this idea of taking on really huge challenges and even before you moved here probably one of the most iconic routes which is the bob graham round that lured you into the process and that was the first one can you describe that route and how you felt on the first time you did it
2: yes so bob graham is 42 peaks of the Lake District fells, including all the highest ones, so Skidders, Scorfell, Elvellyn. The aim of the Bob Graham is to do it in under 24 hours, first done by Bob Graham himself in 1932. Since then, there's been like 2,500 people have done it in under 24 hours. So in... 2006, I was pretty fit, getting really fit, and I thought, you know, I'll have a go and see how fast I can do it. I knew I could do it, you know, a good time, and I got round in 17 hours and 9 minutes, which at the time was something like the fifth or sixth fastest time. You know, hard day out, but really enjoyable.
1: When we were with Joss, we fired a few target questions to him about how he coped with a range of particular routes. So we're going to do this with you and uh, define the route... And ask you to sum up, in a sentence, what you found of that experience for you. We'll start with the Ramsey round.
2: So that's 60-odd miles in Scottish Highlands, including Ben Nevis. 24 Munro's, I think it's 23 now, there were 24. I got round in 21 hours, but I guess the thing that sums it up for me was... I had to go through the night when I was really tired by myself over the Moors and that was hard sort of physically and mentally because that was the second half of it. The Paddy Buckley. So that's similar round in Wales including Snowden uh, again 65 miles-ish a lot of peaks then it was just a trudge round I didn't feel good all the time and I just had to sort of keep moving and pushing myself even though I knew I wasn't feeling great just to sort of Get round and under the 24 hours. Got halfway and thought, you know, this isn't going to go well, but, you know, trudge it out. The Lakeland 100. I've done this twice. I did the first two years. Now it's a massive event. When I first did it, it was quite small. So it's a 100-mile route around the Lake District Fells. Not the peaks, mainly the passes. The first time was great, and I won it. The second time, I got about two-thirds of the way around, and my legs went, and then it was just a trudge... Suffering all the way to the finish. that yeah, cruel? And then the 24-hour record attempt. This is to see if you can get the most number of Lake District peaks within 24 hours, and the record is 77 peaks, or was 77, and I tried to increase it to 78. I tried twice both times. I got pretty much two-thirds of the way around to Walsdale and was sort of an hour or so behind schedule and thought, that's it, I'm never going to do it. Uh, and it's not a matter of finishing there it's after whether you break the record or not so I sort of gave up because there was no way I was going to break the record Yeah, there are certain
1: records that uh, belong to somebody else you know? yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Who does hold that record currently?
2: I think it is Kim Collinson a good friend of mine lives locally very good runner um, I helped him on it um, it was it was a great day out very wow. focused and determined he was there. Yeah, absolutely this is this is the community element of what you're doing A lot of these rounds, it's not just you running it, it's a team of people helping you, which is really important. And you help them and they help you to try and do these records. Well, we'll come back to talking about the team, Uh, but then let's get back into Wales and the Dragons' back. Yeah, it's a classic race down the spine of Wales, first run in 1992, resurrected in I think 2012 which is when i ran it and won it um great race 35 miles a day sort of five or six days really enjoyable experience fabulous i remember taking
1: on some of the cambrian way with the chap who created it tony drake so i, I know it at a walking pace <laughs> <laughs> you mentioned that uh, doing the ramsey round you thought about the actual risk of what you were doing and you were thinking about your wife, Emma, and the, and the children and it started to play on your mind a little.
2: Yes, I'd done majority of the routes, two-thirds of it. I was going on to the whole of Memoir Ridge, got dark, I was cold and shivery and there was a, a scrambly section up one ridge and I did start to question why I was doing it. It's difficult because I was thinking, you know, is, is this too big a risk? But then I thought, actually, it's what makes me happy doing this. So it's, you know, it's part of me. Um, there's an element of risk in everything, but I decided it was sort of a, a worthwhile risk in this case. It was a trade-off, to be honest to yourself. Yeah, I think that's a good way of saying it, yeah. One of the things within
1: There Is No Map In Hell is the notion of, Food, How you micromanage that during a serious endeavour, as a fell walker, I don't have that problem, but for you it's critical for the fuel and the energy to keep you at
2: peak performance. Exactly. I mean, if you're doing 50, 60 miles in a day, you're using a huge amount of calories, so you need to eat that food. It's difficult, though, because... You're also pushing it hard so you start to get dodgy stomachs so you don't actually want to eat. So it's a balance sometimes. You've basically got to eat whatever you can. Sometimes it doesn't work. Sometimes you're sick. Sometimes, especially when it's hot, you don't feel like eating and you have to force it down. But you've got to get the calories down or else you're just going to slow down to a walking speed or a slow walking speed. If you don't get
1: it right, the opportunity of achieving the record that you're going
2: for is squandered. On the latest District 24-hour record, the second one, you know, I was really fit and going well. I got the food and drink intake wrong. I think I had too much to drink, not enough water, too much sort of energy drinks. um, And all the food I was having was just sitting on my stomach and I could feel my stomach getting bloated. Uh, and I was just getting slower and slower, and eventually, you know, I was sick, it all came up, but I then hadn't been absorbing enough food, or running out of energy, and you know, there was no way I was going to do well after that, it's something you've got to get right, and it's something I've got wrong quite a lot of times as well, it's a hard, a hard balance.
1: Learning about your body's digestion is a tough journey in itself.
2: Exactly, and the other thing is that you don't do these challenges very often, you're doing, hey, one, or two a year, so you can't try out lots of things often because it's such a rare thing that you're actually running for that length of time so i can run for three or four hours or five hours i know what i can eat in those five hours but it's rare that you're overdoing over 10 hours and then you don't know what the body can cope with so it's it becomes hard to practice it because you're outside your comfort zone pain management
1: At the pitch that you're operating, how have you masterminded it? I mean, but Joss, he had this immense capacity to absorb pain.
2: I think the basic thing is, if you're determined to do something, you can cope with a lot of pain. So if you set your mind to any task, anyone say, "Right, I'm going to do it." You know, anyone doing a marathon or whatever, say, "Right, I'm going to do it, whatever it takes." That's the first way of doing it. And then when you do get things come painful, you know, it is hard. I tend to sort of focus on on the small things, just say, right, I'm just going to go up this hill or forget about the pain, just going to focus on the next 10, 20 minutes because if you think you've got 10 hours to go and everything's hurting at that point, it's too big a picture. So I have to try and sort of narrow it down and say, right, I can run to here and then I'll see how I feel, run to there, see how I feel, just break into bits bite-sizing the whole process exactly yeah if you focus on the pain too much it can become too hard so almost like forget about it sometimes so as say chat to someone look at the map is what i quite often do just focus on the route and getting that right it's like you mentally anesthetize yourself i think so yeah just send it to the back of your mind and try and forget about it and think about something else i mean there's different sorts of pain so As you get older, you know what sort of pains are important that you can just basically say, you know, it's hurting because I've been out a long time and it'll be fine a few days later. But there's the other sort of pain where if you're actually doing damage to your body, then it's the time to stop, but it's knowing which is which. Which is which, yeah, And As you get a bit older, that sort of experience, you know, I'm sure you have things that hurt when you walk that, that you say, oh, I can just forget about that, I'll be okay the next day.
1: I was influenced by Wainwright, but you were influenced by Wainwright in a completely different way. The series of books he produced, 214 fells. Now that's, as a collective whole, uh, that sounds big enough, but it sets yourself that challenge of actually doing them all in one go. When did the idea of doing them in one run come
2: into your mind? I guess it was a a bit of a gradual thing in that, I've always loved the Wainwright books themselves. You know, they're beautiful stuff. Um, you know, I've looked at them, walked up the fells following his roots. Um, I knew of Joss's run around them in 1986, but I hadn't actually thought of doing them. And then on one of these Lake district 24-hour attempts, someone said, oh, on your next challenge, you should run around them all and break Joss's time. And I thought, oh, actually, that's a quite a good idea. <laughs> you know, I live here. I love... Being on the fells, most of the fells i have been up loads of times. So There's one or two I hadn't been up of these 214 peaks. I thought, yeah, that's a, a good challenge. <laughs>
1: yeah, Land Creek sitting
2: there quietly. Exactly, <laughs> busy, yeah. sitting yeah. There. <laughs> Such an obvious one. So it was a, a good opportunity to just go to some new places and mm-hmm. try some new tops I'd never actually been up. I love being up Blencathra. I've been at every route about 20 times, actually to try different peaks in the Lake District and try new routes and find the best routes and the fastest lines because that's a lot of what it was about. It's finding the nice lines between all the tops to make make it faster. Just to be clear, you felt that you could actually
1: beat Joss at that one.
2: Yeah, Joss is a better runner than me. Over three or four hours, he's a lot better than me, a lot faster than me. And I know he's as tough as anything. But I knew he'd struggled over the last few days with a lot of pain. And I also thought maybe I could find a better route than him. Uh, so I thought, yeah, maybe there's a chance. A challenge is a good challenge if you don't know if you can do it or not. And I didn't know if I could do it, so it was a great challenge. And you actually knew the precise route that he'd followed? He produced a, a pamphlet with his thoughts and had all the times of each peak. So, you know, the order of the peaks and how long it took between the peaks. So I knew, I knew exactly what route he'd done. Right, you've seen the challenge
1: and, rather like myself you love pouring over maps, but you're actually now sharpening your blade on what are the actual lines that will work for you on the day. So you're thinking around all the nuances of routes. How did you get to grips with that?
2: Yeah, I mean, that's just a massive challenge. The first job was to get a map of Lake District, put all 214 peaks on and plot Joss's route. And I plotted that and thought, actually... I reckon I could do a bit better than that. And I could have actually started saying, "Yeah, I could take this one in a different order, this one in a different order, but I thought what I want is a complete blank slate. I want to start again and not be influenced by Joss at all. Um, Make it virgin territory to yourself. Exactly. So I spent a couple of hours a night for six months looking at maps, plotting them all on some software, looking at all the distances. It's a massive job because you change one peak... So, for example, Binsey. whether you put that between the northern fells and northwest fells or whether it's just an out and back in the northern fells, if you change that one peak at the position, half the route has to change because suddenly that one affects all the other running order. And then each time you have to measure the whole thing and say, oh, is this better or is this worse? I spent six months doing it, and I thought I'd got the perfect route. And then I looked at it, and I thought, actually, one thing I hadn't looked at was where it crosses roads and where I'd get support and help. And there was a massive section on the fells around Wasdale and Ennerdale, 30 hours without touching a road. It's hard to believe you can do that in the Lake District, but it did. And I thought, oh, that's going to be really hard because you need people with you every sort of 10 hours. Um, so I went back and completely did it again. Why is the road crossing... Absolutely vital. When you're doing these long rounds, you've got a couple of people, two or three people with you, and they support you, they navigate you, they give you food and drink. If it's too long a section, they'll have to carry too much gear to actually help you to do that. At the road points, you can change clothes, you can get a, a nice, decent meal. If there's any problems, you can try and sort them out. So you don't want a whole 30-hour section because that becomes a bit risky, you might have to go down to a road and you'd lose hours so you want to put it into nice blocks of 10 hours or so it's easier mentally as well, you think oh, I've got 30 hours on this section, it's really hard but if you think, oh I've got 10 hours till I get to a nice camper van where's the option of a sleep which I'm sure we'll come on to um, that makes things a lot easier One of the things you identified with Joss was his time spent resting Joss very much focused on individual days. So, I say, the first day I'll run for 16 hours, I'll get to a vehicle. And then he actually got driven away to someone's house, rested in their house or on a bed in the back of a van and then came back. And he might spend six hours at the end of that day not actually moving, resting, and then start again and do another long second day. So I thought what better to do would be to cut down that... Resting time to, say, three or four hours a night. Then I'd be able to move a bit slower and still beat his time. Is there such a thing as the perfect route? I guess there's the optimum route for a person running it. It's like a travelling salesman problem, but a complex one. A couple of guys from Manchester University, they put it through an algorithm to try and work out what the optimum route was. And they reckon their route was a couple of percent faster. But... There were issues with, again, getting the right support points at the right time. But once a route becomes more known, it becomes faster in itself because all the fastest lines get known. So that becomes almost the optimum route. To make an optimum, you need a whole
1: really serious team. What's the scale of your team?
2: There were at least 50 people helping me over the course of these six or seven days. So you've got a key person, Jane, who basically sorts out the logistics of everything while I'm going round, so I don't need to worry about anything. So you've got 10 people who are the support people, so you've got two camper vans, people driving them around, people looking after me, sort of someone sorting out food and all that sort of things. And then on the fells you've got two people with me, at least two or three people on every section, and there's 24 sections. Some of them do two or three legs. So it's a huge team effort. You know, my name's down having done it, but you could never do it without the support of all these people. And they just They come out and help in the middle of the night, 2am in the morning, someone's there looking after me, giving me food and drink on top of a fell and could be awful weather. Um, You know, they just come out and volunteer. Great community, looking after each other. They sort of mentally carry you. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's really important having the right people. uh, And you say mentally carry. If I'm having a bad time, they're there to chat to me, try and get me out of it, uh, help me in any way. These are really good runners. They've been through similar stuff themselves, so they know what it takes to help someone and get them through this. What is it amongst your fellow fell runners that gives them the sense of community? I guess we've had similar experiences in life. We sort of understand each other. I think there's a background understanding that we enjoy both being on the fells but push ourselves to the limit. And I think that's it's the understanding that we've all got that similar drive. That, that You've makes all got it.
1: limits that you're searching for.
2: Exactly, yes, yeah.
1: Well, the big day arrives, Keswick Moot Hall, 9am, what were you feeling?
2: It's one of those things you're looking forward to at loads, but also really worried about what would happen. I've been focusing on that for six months, a year, more. But then I was thinking, you know, it could be brilliant, it could be an amazing week but also in the back of my mind, thinking, actually, this could all be a disaster. It could just be hell for a week and I'd have to give up. So it's uh, a lot of emotions going through my head. And at the time, I was just thinking, just start. I just want to start. Because once you start, all the stress and hassle goes. It's just a matter of getting around. But until then, there's a lot of worry going on in my head. Where was the first direction you went? started off up Lattrick through the town through Fitzpark up Spoonie Green Lane up to Lattrick running with friends having a chat that's really enjoyable the stress and the hassle of the previous few weeks are gone and I tried to sort out logistics as much as I could but I knew there was still stuff to sort out but I didn't have to worry about that anymore I could just say Jane that's your responsibility now (laughs) (laughs) You find people to be with me for every leg, I'm just going to run. Did you head for Skinner Little Man or Scale Fell? Well, no, it's a bit odd then. You go to Lartrig and then you come back on yourself to High Rig. Oh, our listeners will be surprised about this. this is, the actual route will... Uh, the route's a bit intrigued. odd, particularly the first day. You're sort of getting all the little fells, so Wallacrag and um, Bleaby Fell... And then after a few more, we'll go to Castle Crag. So all a lot of the little lower fells, the box, up. yeah, are done the first day, and then you sort of well, first section, and then you get onto the big fells. Oh,
1: goodness me!
2: So on day one, with your plan all set up, what was the weather like? Can you remember that? It was hot and humid, so I was dreading having wet and windy weather like we have today. But in fact it was the other extreme all week, it was really hot uh, and the first day in particular was really humid and that caused me quite a lot of issues because I was just sweating huge amounts and I've got this great support team with me, feeding me drink and stuff but there's a limit to how much you can drink or how much is absorbed and I was pushing that limit and I was drinking litres and litres, I don't know I must have drunk about I think 10 litres that first day Cranky. and by the end of the first day my stomach had just had enough going over the Lows waterfells, just coming down one of the peaks, is it Fellbarrow? I was sick. Um, everything came out of the stomach just because of the of volume I'd been taking of liquid. That was not a great start because I know I'm going to end up a bit dehydrated because I've been sick, lacking in energy. So I need a few hours just going slowly just to recover. Uh, and then I got to Eddell and had a rest for a couple of hours. Again, just give myself body, time to recover a bit.
1: Day two, Ennerdale car park to the Duddon Valley. Can you recall that sudden
2: light of dawn? Yeah. Some of the great things about these challenges is you are often up at dusk and dawn. And those can be the most magical times. This was in June, so the dawn would have been about three or four o'clock. And I was just getting up. I think it was Cragfell and Grike and then the beautiful light sort of comes in clouds in the valley just stunning mm-hmm. and that after the bad first night when I was throwing up this list of spirits make me happy again can you talk us through that little moment between Scorfell and Lingmel you go up Scorfell then there is a route down the, the Wall Traverse which I'm sure you know very well it's pretty deep and it was the only time during the week that i had any rain so it was a bit slippy and stuff um so i got down okay i was with my sister who, who hates stuff like that but she bravely came down with me wow. she'd never come down by herself normally but she said you know because she knew what she was doing and supporting me she came down so it was a bit wet and slippy and then contour around to ling you flag up about an innocent little fell, uh, Rossett Pike. Yeah, it's it's just awkward because you're going along the ridge from S. Pike to Bowfell and you think, actually, I've got to go down to Rossett Pike and then straight back up again. So it's, it's just an awkward place. You went down Hanging Knots, did you?
1: Or do you go all gap back down?
2: All gap and then... I uh, did a route round Angle Tarn on yes. the easier running, and then straight back up on the Graham route, basically up straight up Beaufeu. In effect, you went up Bowfell twice. <laughs> 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 well, nearly. Yeah, I mean, pretty much straight down and straight back up again.
1: Yeah. At the end of the day two you actually couldn't get to sleep in the window that you were allowing yourself
2: i was planning on stopping for four hours every night and sleeping hopefully for three of those hours a bit of food beforehand and a bit of food afterwards but a solid three hours sleep and yeah i couldn't sleep that night i mean that one was partly because of midges Dunbarry has a lot of midges and it was perfect hot humid weather you know what midges like they love hot humid weather and just walked into the camper van, and a thousand midges came in with me, and they were biting my feet, and everything starts to hurt as well after two days, and then it becomes stressed because I want to sleep, I need to sleep, I know my body wants to sleep, but I can't sleep, it's annoying, because it's also wasted time, I shouldn't be lying there, not asleep, I should either be moving or sleeping, I shouldn't just be lying there, wasting time. Wow, day three,
1: (laughs) after not sleeping, you're going from the dungeon all the way to Rydal, that was quite a Dotty day,
2: really. Yeah, it was just uh, another long day because after two days, everything's beginning to hurt. Um, Got my first blisters on. That day, coming off Wetherlam, I had to stop just to get them sorted out and never see blisters is is the worst thing because they're not going to recover. They haven't got any time to recover on these sort of things, so you know they're just going to get worse and worse. Moving forward to day five,
1: there's this definite feeling in the book that the pain and the discomfort were really taking a
2: hold. Yeah, so I started this day at the bottom of Heart of Fell. So the first peak of the day was Heart of Fell. I'd actually managed to sleep a few hours, got out of the camper van, but everything ached. The blisters were agony, so I had like three on each foot. But it wasn't just there. My whole body seemed to have seized up after three hours, so like every step was agony. I walked a few steps and then... My feet were just too painful. So I took my shoes off, threw them to the ground, and walked up after to fell in my socks, which was a bit better. <laughs> walked down again, because it's an out and back, just back to the camper van. Tried some different shoes, which was slightly less painful, and then carried on walking. But I was thinking at this point, there was no way I was going to do it. Just see myself getting slower and slower over the next two or three days. These things happen. Everything gets painful, and you just gradually get slower. And... You could see there was sort of the record going away. But then it carried on, and over the next rest of that day, actually, I started gradually moving a bit better. The blisters were painful, but they didn't get any worse, and everything else in my body sort of gradually loosened up and sort of started to make decent progress again. You found a form of equilibrium. Exactly, a painful equilibrium. Mm. So I actually got to the point where going up was all right. Um, I was climbing really well and quite enjoying that. Every downhill was agony. So I just had to say, right, this is just painful for the next 20 minutes. We'll get through that and then I can enjoy the up. So it was sort of a a mental game as well. Gosh, the ups and downs of life. All confined into seven
1: days. Yes, exactly, (laughs) yes. There
2: we are, the extremes high and extreme lows that you get. And
1: you had one member of the team who, being a doctor, knew how to cope with
2: the pain management. I hate taking painkillers and stuff. You know, in normal life, I would never take anything. But it was getting bad, the pain. So I was taking some painkillers to try and relieve the pain, paracetamol and ibuprofen. You've got to be really careful, particularly with ibuprofen, that you're not dehydrated. And you obviously don't want to take too many of any of these drugs. So there was one person made sure that the support team with me knew exactly when I'd last had them. And were making sure that I was getting enough to drink so it wasn't going to damage my liver.
1: The end of day five, you say, your sparkle had gone. How did you resolve that?
2: By the at least then, I was thinking, actually, I'm on the way home. I was thinking, you know, I've done 80% of it. I can now see the end in sight and just focus on that. Another nice thing is that a lot of people coming out onto the fells and, and watching me and seeing me because I had this tracker with me, so everyone knew how I was doing so everyone could come out and cheer and encourage me. uh, And that made a big difference. Come day
1: six, literally thousands of people were paying attention to you on television, radio, online. On the fell too, you kept meeting people. You were not alone in any sense. What did that feel
2: like? It was nice. I mean, obviously I wasn't aware fully what was going on, but the support people would keep coming along and say, oh, you know, this many people are interested. All social media is getting really excited. And then there were, as you say, people coming along on the fells cheering me so uh, one of the guys had a an england flag on top of one of massive england flag on top of one of the fells um <laughs> i could see from like miles away i was thinking yeah. why was that but they put it up especially <laughs> for me you were representing england <laughs> <laughs> it was yeah, it was really nice and people running with me and yeah it sort of buoyed me out you know fabulous fell running to the pitch you were at suddenly became
1: not a solo thing
2: yeah, weird because I spend my whole life running by myself and enjoy that sort of sort aspect, but suddenly there were thousands of people, you know, lots of people interested, people running with me and actually that became really nice. Day seven.
1: Uh, Pheasant Inn, take the mood hall. gosh, the very thought of that place. And there's a quote from the book which says, I think I've reached the limit of what
2: I can take. Yeah, so the lack of sleep pushing yourself for six days it all sort of builds up often in these things people start hallucinating and things so I had just enough sleep not to be hallucinating but you go within yourself you stop being coherent you stop being able to have a coherent conversation your mind just sort of goes in and all you're focused on is moving and everything else becomes not important and the pain by this point was very intense I lost it for a bit and I sort of cried for a bit and said you know I can't cope the thought of another long on day on the fells was too much but then you know I started and everything sort of picked up again uh, it's hard to describe but the body sort of copes by only focusing on what it needs to do which is just the moving rather than anything else you're at Newlands Halls you
1: can see the people around you cheering you mentally you believe now you know now that you can actually make it and you can beat the record you've got it in your grasp what did it feel like describe all those fells you were mopping up then with glee
2: you know it's it's a great feel i remember running down to newland's halls it must have been like 30 40 people running with me i stopped for like 10 minutes there and then as you say just six fells to go from that point but I, i knew i was going to break the record it was just a matter of going out and enjoying it and it was a beautiful day as well um It's like five or six o'clock in the evening and I was just enjoying the last three or four hours with a great group of friends and people that have been with me the whole week. So whatever, there's Robinson, Heinzgarth, Dale Head, down to Dale Head Tarn and then up along the ridge, High Spy, Maiden Moor and then the final one, Cat Bells to finish. So that was the 214. Someone had a, a bottle of Wainwright beer for me at the top of there. I had a quick sip <laughs> How amazing. and then yeah just run down from there along the tracks and the road to the moot hall and there were literally hundreds of people wow. at the moot hall cheering me in which was amazing you know oh. it's it's weird because you know is such a solitary sport and yes. then all these friends and family all there cheering me in you know being a week of highs and lows, and it was just finished with an amazing high. Oh, wow. And then my family up on the steps of the Mutor with me, and oh, my and, mum there. And they're there
1: in your mind now, you can yeah, visualise them. Yeah, exactly. Oh, so few of us have
2: these moments in our lives. That end moment. Did you ha- celebrate in some form? My daughter produced a chocolate coin on a ribbon that she gave me, so I had a, a chocolate coin, that was lovely, and <laughs> then <laughs> someone gave me a pint, I don't think I drank any of it. no. I sort of sat on the steps in a zombie out state because our mind is completely gone, <laughs> yeah. uh, shaked a few people's hands and came home. <laughs> <laughs> and tried to sleep. But the weird thing is you don't normally sleep very well after these things. You'd think oh. you'd sleep really well, but your legs are still moving. Your legs are like oh. moving all night as if they want to carry on moving. <laughs> yes. You've told them that they're in charge. <laughs> yes. <laughs> no. And you can get some some weird <laughs> dreams and stuff as well. I wasn't too bad, but Josh had some really, really bad times after oh. his stuff. Um, yes. so you think it's it's over, but actually you feel a bit weird for the next well, really bad for the next 24 hours, your body's sort of recovering in sort of yes. various ways. There is an aftermath to a thing of that sort of scale, but it wasn't immediate. The next two weeks I felt pretty bad, but I was recovering and I thought I'd recovered okay. I didn't feel perfect. I knew something was still wrong, but I thought, oh, gradually it'll get better and better. So I started running and training again after a few weeks, which is probably... Bad in hindsight, I probably should have waited a bit longer. Um, and I was running all right, but again, I just never felt back to normal. And then from about six months to a year later, I actually started getting worse again, and I wasn't quite sure what was going on. I sort of ignored it, carried on running and stuff. And then it got really bad, and it got to a stage where well, everything went wrong, really. You know, a lot of people have at the moment have like long COVID, it was those sort of issues, so I felt completely exhausted couldn't do anything until about midday dizzy tired was struggling to work I used to go out for like 10 minute runs just to clear my mind a bit but it was basically a fast walk really struggling for about a year or so and I basically had to change my lifestyle to live the perfect lifestyle so I sort of stopped drinking any alcohol perfect foods gradually managed to get a steady nine hours sleep a night and made sure it was the same nine hours sleep every night tried to reduce any stress and over the next two or three years I got better and pretty much back to normal who advised you at that phase well I went to see doctors and I talked to other people so this sort of chronic fatigue from running too much it's fairly sort of normal it's not normal but a few runners have had it so I talked to a lot of other people who had similar issues And they suggested taking it easy, which is what I did. Looking back, do you feel that something of
1: that monumental scale impacted on your body
2: really negatively? Yeah, I think there's a limit to how much your body can take. And I probably just pushed it too hard. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, the body's amazing at adapting and recovering if you give it a chance but I never did properly, so I pushed it to the limit and then never really gave myself, my body time to recover. Um, and I think the older you are, the more you've got to give yourself time to recover. Mm-hmm. So I think it was just, yeah, I just pushed it too hard and, and didn't let myself recover. If you'd have done it 10 years earlier, if you'd
1: had that capacity, would you feel better now, you think?
2: I think people that do it when they're younger seem to recover better in that respect. I think Mm. once you're turning 40, you've got to be a bit more careful. I mean, you can do pretty much whatever you want in your 20s and 30s, but once you turn 40, then I think you've just got to be that little bit more careful. Mm. Do you feel you're back to normality now? Well... The fatigue's pretty much gone although I have to be careful about it so I know that if I run too much with too much stress in my life then I can feel it all coming on again and I just have to back off a bit. Um, Now my only issue now is I've got this weird heart issue this atrial fibrillation um, which is again quite normal for what they call endurance athletes. Sometimes I get these strange heartbeats and Lasts for a day and then I'm okay again. Right. Um, Reflections. You look back at it, how do you view it now? It's funny, in time, all the pain goes. So the pain of the blisters all just vanishes. So I only look back now and I think of a, an amazing week with my friends running over the fells, seeing beautiful dawns and dusks, the great memories of running into Keswick. And what may have uh, Alfred Wainwright have made of such a thing? He has quoted a few times about not being that impressed by Um, (laughs) far-runners. I can't remember the exact quote, but basically he's impressed by our endurance but not the achievements or something like that (laughs) so i don't think they've been that impressed but you know he loved the fells i go on the fells because i love them as well and it's the same for joss Naylor. we're all here because that's where we enjoy being being up on the fells looking at the views and stuff it's the same views that he had and we both appreciate them constantly you're absorbing the fells would there have been one sort of little tweak that you'd have made to that journey so, there was one fell seat sandal I put in the wrong section, which cost me about 20 minutes. I should have done it between Sunday and Dollywagon instead of just before Fairfield. There's a few other little tweaks where I took the wrong line that I would actually go slightly different way now, but you're only looking at an hour or two. Yes. So, the only thing I would have done differently would be probably not rest as much early on because that wasted time when I was trying to sleep and just lying there. Um, yeah. So that's that's what other people have done. The more recent reckon holders have cut down on that resting time, moving at a similar speed, but just completely cut down on the resting time. It's a hard way to do it, but it's that's what people have done. Well, you've certainly set a marker that uh, is a red rag to a bull to a lot of people. <laughs> yes.
1: And the interesting thing, Steve, is that The subsequent achievers of advances of your achievements were modelled on your very template.
2: Yeah, I mean, the record's now been broken three times. Paul Tierney broke it, then Sabrina Virgie, now most recently John Kelly. To start with, I had mixed emotions about people breaking my record. It felt that I would have been liked to hold it a bit longer, but that's changed now, and actually I think it's really nice. I encourage people to go along and break the record, and even nicer is the fact they're basically using my route. So my achievement, looking back, would probably be to create the route that everyone else is now following. And it's not just runners. You actually see quite a lot of people walking that same route now, not in seven days, but in, like, 24 days or whatever. Yeah. People actually doing that and enjoying it. So if you were to give one bit of advice to
1: anybody considering doing the
2: 214, what would it be? Gosh, um... <laughs> i think it's got to be just to get out and recce the route and know the fells go out and and try sections of it and know where you're going yeah you've got to really
1: get to know the fells yeah they've got to be instinctive your knowledge of the geography steve you've given us an incredible mental journey there and your personal challenges that you've taken on uh just blow my mind But then there are those magical moments, and I'd like to visit those magical moments in the concept of our quick-fire
2: questions. What was your first Lakeland memory? A family holiday in Borrowdale when I was about 10 or 11. We camped at Stonethwaite with three groups of families, walked up Scorfield Pike. It was beautiful weather.
1: Marvellous. Well, King Charles III loves Stonethwaite, I understand, so
2: you're in good company. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> favourite fell it has to be Blancatha because I open the door in the morning and look out and there is the face of Blencathra with the five ridges in front of it um, yeah. beautiful Herdwick or Red Squirrel Oh,
1: Red Squirrel do they hover around your home? we do have Red Squirrels
2: here lucky you yes. have you a favourite view? No. <laughs> How can you compare different views? I think the favourite thing is, is the light, so any view can be enchanced by the light. If you're there in a beautiful day, um, it makes
1: all the difference. Have you a particular favourite run you'd like to share with those energetic
2: listeners? Um, because it's on my doorstep and I love Blencatha so much, I do enjoy the run up Scales Fell at the top of Blencatha and then down please Fell when you're on on one of these long runs is it somewhere your mind wanders I solve all my work problems when I'm on my run don't know how it does it but yeah any issue I've got I go for a run and then I know exactly what to do when I come home have you picking the season of the year in Lakeland no I, again it's I love them all um, in different ways um, even a wet windy day in the autumn has its good things about it I will out, go out for a run in the wind and the rain, and I like it just as much as any other season.
1: Have you a a Cumbrian hero or heroine that uh, you admire?
2: I still admire all the old fell runners like Joss Naylor, Billy Bland, the guys that... Some of them set these records from 30, 40 years ago that's still not being beaten. Not only that, they they also appreciate the landscape as, as well. What do you think is... Putting outside your own achievements, is there
1: any other particular amazing fell-running achievements that you can
2: quantify? Really hard, that one. There's so many good things. I mean, I think of, you know, the Lake District 24-hour record, you know, John Kelly breaking the Wainwright record. On some of these fell races, like Billy Bland's Wasdale records, they're still amazing. So there's there's lots. Um, I can't pick out a single one.
1: There is one. If you were Prime Minister for a day... Would I wish it on you? (laughs) What one thing would you do to safeguard the landscapes of Lakeland?
2: I think for me, with my background in water, I am very worried about the algal blooms in all the lakes. So I try and make sure that basically we stop all the the algal blooms, which is make sure the septic tanks are working alright and all the. Fertilisers are put on correctly on the fields to stop all the nitrogen and phosphorus going into the lakes. Can you describe your perfect Lakeland day? It would probably be a nice two-hour run in the morning and then a nice three or four-hour walk with the family in the afternoon and then go to a tea shop or a cafe and have a nice cup of tea. Steve, it's been absolutely amazing for us to share your <laughs> Uh,
1: perspective on life in a world that most of our listeners will find absolutely mind blowingly amazing. Your achievements will linger. You are a pioneer.
2: Well, thanks. Enjoy chatting with you.
0: Journey's end, I'm kind of exhausted even listening to Steve's amazing journey there, Mark. Um, do you fancy it yourself? You could maybe try it for the record. Oh, I could do that on a map, wonderfully. So we name check the book. There is no map in hell. Steve Birkinshaw got a lovely little forward there by Joss. Um, and it's a Vertebrate uh, Publishing. I was chatting to somebody the other day they said it was their favourite book, Mark, so there's something. But I mean for me. All kinds of interesting things in here as fell walkers we just don't really have a clue about this so stuff like the pain management your nutrition and getting that balance into you because you're burning off more calories than you can possibly consume and at some point right your your body just starts breaking down there's this lovely quote I'm just gonna uh, go back to this here this is day six and he says I'm struggling to stay awake I know my body is disintegrating. Everything is becoming harder and slower. My mind is gradually going and all I can concentrate on is moving forwards. And you know, we got that kind of feel from Steve. You get into this kind of weird, almost a dream state. Steve mentions hallucinations. You're testing the limits of human endurance here. And Steve is really candid, uh, both in the book, but also subsequently in some of his blog posts about the long-term impact this had on him. And, Attention the fact that he kind of almost broke his body. It's extraordinary stuff, this. It is. Far cry from, you know, Wainwright pottering up the fells. Oh,
1: no. And to see Steve now, to to realise what he's been through, Mm. uh, it just shows the human body is an an amazing thing.
0: I, as you know, live fairly close to Keswick, and one of my favourite pubs uh, is directly outside the Moot Hall and I've had two occasions in the last year sitting outside the front there where big crowds have gathered of an evening and then somebody comes in and this great collective feeling of support again there's something that fell walkers don't quite have which fell runners do with this incredible sense of community which again I think Steve um, kind of tapped into Um, we'll bring this to a close I'm off walking the Dales Highway next week Mark have you ever
1: well, that's on such that, the old...
0: Grogan's, was it?
1: that are christened... Uh, absolutely. Yeah, the Grogan's created this wonderful idea. Yeah, the Dales Way is a lovely little gentle stroll up the valleys, but actually the Dales Highway takes the Yorkshire Dales by the scruff of the neck and exploits all the wonderful high fells in the most wonderful journey. I, I envy you your expedition. It's a lovely experience. I love the Yorkshire Dales. My earliest fell walking was actually in the Yorkshire Dales, so that's
0: a special area for me. I wish you all the best. It's very kind. It looks like it's going to rain all week, but as fell walkers, uh, or indeed fell runners, that cannot stop us, can it? What have you got planned, Mark? Are you up on the wall? You're doing a bit. of I this what?
1: I'm finishing, I'm racing to finish off the update of my National Trail Guide for Cicerone. Uh, and then I've got a few more drawings to do to get this Ambleside
0: book finished. Never mind, it's all good stuff. All good stuff. Right, so this is um, Country Stride, episode number 89, is that right? Crikey me, we're almost in the 90s. Episode 89, for all previous 88 episodes, www.countrystride.co.uk. You can find us on social... Facebook and Twitter, at Country Stride 1. If you'd like to support us you can do it in one of three ways you can recommend this podcast so if you love fell running or indeed fell walking or history heritage culture and people of the lake district in cumbria please do tell your friends or relatives about us uh, you can buy any one of our guidebooks um we spoke about the Threll cold walking companion earlier on which has some lovely walks onto Cloughhead, Cloughhead, including up Le- uh, the thingy rake oh uh fisher's wife fisher's wife up to Jim's fold. Yeah, that's the magic. Very naughty. You can also support us on Patreon for as little as two pounds a month, which is the price of a, a nice cup of tea at the Threlkeld Tea Room. Threlkeld Coffee Shop. Threlkeld Coffee Shop. The Village Hall. A fine place. I was there only yesterday. You can find details about that at www.countrystride.co.uk as well. Next up, I think we're talking Vikings, Mark. Oh, very yes. exciting. This. Yeah, we're
1: going down to Woldsdale. To... Gosforth and uh, that should be very exciting.
0: One of the biggest Viking finds in the whole of England we think has recently been uncovered near Gosforth which changes how we think about the Scandinavian um, settlers so uh, yeah we're getting it from another Steve. Yeah there's Steve Dickinson. That'll be what we're doing next fortnight on Country Stride for now thanks for joining us on the sofas below Cloughhead.